Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. We love you guys. We love them, right? Yeah, so good. So good. Hey, my name is Alex. If you are new around here, hi. If you're not, I still say hi. Hi, if you've been around. Um, hey, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege to get to open up the scriptures today. Um, normally, in our service in this moment, we continue worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. And we decided that today would be a day where we would do something a little bit different. Um, there's a liturgy for the church. Liturgy is a big word, but it basically means a sort of a structure to how we worship. Now, if you think about that, we participate, if you're a follower of Jesus, you participate in this, whether you realize it or not. Um, in a calendar year, you have things like Easter and Lent and Christmas. This is sort of a global and over time and space liturgy that the church of Jesus has been a part of. But there's also a structure to how we worship and gather every Sunday. And you, you're familiar with it. We have a unique liturgy here. It may be similar in other places and it may be different, but it's just a structure to how we worship. We gather, we sing some songs, we do an awkward greeting time, right? We sing some more songs, we pray, we come to a point what we call the offering. And when that time happens, ushers come down, pass the bucket, some of you give online. But we can grow too familiar with certain aspects of how we gather on a regular basis. And I grew up in the church and around the church and regularly that moment would come and it would go. And I was super confused about it because no one ever talked about it. Right, there was rarely ever teaching, and I get it, it can feel kind of weird, like talking about money and then giving. Is that manipulative? Is it weird? Well, here's the deal. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. But you know what was number two? Money. <laughs> Jesus talked about money a lot, which I guess is helpful when you're a poor, homeless vagabond, right? He talked about money, but there's a reason why, because Jesus understood that the, sort of the economic systems of this world have sway and power over our lives. Jesus at one point in the New Testament said that you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve God and money. God is a generous God. In fact, one of the ways we sort of summarize what the gospel is all about is one in, in, from one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We're gonna talk for a minute about generosity because it is the very heart of God. It is who he is. The word give is common in the New Testament. In the Greek, it shows up 400 times. Sometimes it's used like this. A parent gives something to his child or a spouse gives love to their significant other. A boss gives a paycheck to her employees. In Matthew 4, Satan promises to give all of the kingdoms of this world and their splendor to Jesus if he would just bow down to them. But God gives too. In fact, he is the originator of the idea of giving. Generosity comes from him. And there is no greater gift than to give of yourself sacrificially and joyfully. The author of Hebrews says this of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
One truth we talk about often is that we were made in the image of God, made to be like him. So our truest self is when we live in obedience to his design, which means this, as followers of Jesus, we are called the same radical generosity that Jesus himself displayed. This is not just a part of our lives. It defines everything about our lives. Paul in Philippians 2, in this beautiful section of scripture, he talks about how Jesus set aside all of the rights and the privileges of what it meant to be God, to become human, so that you and I could benefit from his radical generosity, from his selfless love of giving himself up for the good of the rest of us. And before he breaks into this beautiful poem, he says, have the same attitude or the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Another truth that we think about when it comes to resources is that everything we have is a gift from God, which means we are not owners of anything. We are stewards of what God has given us. The word grace is the word gift. (laughs) You and I are recipients of the grace of God. We have a radical reorientation in our life to see that everything that is ours is actually a gift from God to us. The very air that we breathe, that's in our lungs, the space that we are in, the people in our life, we as followers of Jesus see that that is radical and lavish grace that God has given us. We are sustained by his grace. And God gives us those gifts for a reason, to be stewarded and used for his purposes. And when we come to that realization that we are actually people of grace, it radically transforms and reorients our generosity and fills us with joy. The New Testament teaches us that we live in an entirely different reality we have the abundance of heaven's resources available to us. No longer do we need a scarcity mentality that there's not going to be enough. We are children of the living God who spoke a universe into existence. How much more so does your father in heaven care for you? And as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to say that economic system that's all over time and space and over the world has no say or power over me. It has no say or power over you. I have a true king and his name is Jesus. And he sits on the throne of every government in the world. And I have a true father in heaven who will provide for my daily bread. And when we come to that realization, it changes everything about our life. We become radically generous. We're taught in the New Testament to give without a desire to even know where that giving goes, what its outcome is. We're taught to give to people that can't give anything back to you because guess what? That is the gospel of Jesus. He gives to all of us and he just wants our hearts in return. We're taught to give proportionately to your income, to be wise, to give regularly, to give often, to give in secret, not declaring on the rooftops how benevolent you are. But at the core of all of those teachings is this truth. Jesus doesn't need your money. He's desperate for your heart. And he knows your money 
is at war for the allegiance of your heart. So why do we practice giving? That's why. Because it is a powerful declaration to the dark powers of this world. They have no sway over us. So ushers, you can come down. (laughs) You can also give online. The reason why we think that's important is not to manipulate you into giving more. That's not the goal here. It's to give you context and reason why. What we're reading through in Isaiah 58, what we've been studying is people are just going through the motions of religion. They're just writing their check, auto withdrawal, never once realizing that that is connected to the world of their own hearts. Pray with me. Jesus, we ask that you would receive from, um, as we give back to you what is already yours, we declare that you are the king of our life and our good father in heaven that will provide for us. Give us the courage to be radically generous with our time, with our energy, with our resources. And God, may you use this offering to further your kingdom to the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Hey, one tangible way the giving of your tithes and offerings is going to meet needs this Year, we get to share a blessing with our community, over 200 families in our community. We're gonna provide food boxes and a turkey and everything necessary for families to have a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, You can bring your donations on Sunday, starting October 29th and through November 19th, and we'll have a collection table in the commons area. And uh, shopping lists, volunteer opportunities, sorting, packing, distribution, all of those things, more information at b4church.org slash thanksgiving. All right, so we are gonna continue our series in Dwell. And uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Isaiah 58. Now, the first five weeks of this series have been out of Isaiah 58. The next three weeks will be some questions that have arisen through this time that um, we're gonna use the Psalms to begin to answer some of those. But today, we're gonna finish Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. But before we do, have you ever got an email like this? Attention, beneficiary, this is to officially inform you that we have verified your contract slash inheritance fund file and found that you did not receive your fund of US $12.5 million. You will receive it through an ATM card, forward your name, address, direct telephone number, regards, Mr. Philip Uku, manager of the Zenith Bank. Anyone ever got one of these before? If you haven't, you've never checked your junk folder, right? This is a scam, if you didn't know that. This is called a phishing email. Now, I don't recommend this for any of you, but one time I saw a TED talk about a guy who responded to these and had a really interesting conversation. And so I tried that. I don't recommend it. Don't click on any of the links, but it's rather entertaining when you do. But what is this? This is an email, a scam, an attempt to kind of pull out something that is deep inside of each of us a longing for an inheritance, right? Who wouldn't wanna receive an email that $12.5 million is headed to your bank account, right? All you gotta do is offer your social security number and your bank info and it's coming your way, right? It's preying upon this thing in each and every one of us, a desire to have a bigger story than your own, to inherit something, to be a part of something. And yes, there's a general rule of thumb when you receive emails like this. If it is too good to be true, it's what? 
It's not true. <laughs> and that is generally the sense for everything, maybe except for the gospel. Um, my sermon today is titled Inheritance. But it's not really about that kind of inheritance. Um, today we want to look at what is our inheritance in Christ. Because the New Testament teaches us that we are heirs with Christ to inherit something. What is it? And here in Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, we're going to read about that inheritance a little bit. Verse 13, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. Here, Isaiah connects this idea of Sabbath to your inheritance. Sabbath to your inheritance. Now remember the context again, Isaiah 58. The people of God are going through the motions. It's dead religion. They're fasting, they're keeping the Sabbath, but their hearts are far from God. There's even this portion of Isaiah 58 that talks about how a certain class of people is resting on the Sabbath while forcing another class of people to work on their behalf. And so here is a correction of God, a reorientation of the people of God to understand that the Sabbath is a gift for all humanity. Now, like the practice of fasting, the Sabbath was intended to be an expression of self-denial and an act of worship. Right, a Sabbath day, a 24-hour period of time consisted really of taking delight in the Lord, of trusting him to be your provider of all your needs and to abstain from work. And in doing so, you're living in obedience to his will for your life. Now, where does this idea come from? Well, it comes from the creation account way back in Genesis chapter one. At the apex of God's creative genius, right? He makes us, humanity, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, he imbues us with all of his divine creativity, right? We are image bearers of God. And with that, I would think you would want to put us right to work, right? Like the image of God is in us. There's all of this world teeming with possibility and opportunity and all of these things. I would be like, now go do something. But what does God do? On the seventh day, God rests. Day one of the human story is not to do something, it's to be present with God. Now, God doesn't need to take a nap, right? He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't run out of energy, he doesn't have the same limitations that you and I do, and yet he prioritizes within the rhythms of creation a day of rest. And it's significant that it's the first day of human existence that's important for us to understand because we as human beings work from rest, not for rest. Jesus would say this, the man was created for the Sabbath, not Sabbath for, Sabbath for the man, right? This was a gift given to us. And it teaches us that we are first a human being 
and not a human doing. Pastor Lane talked about this last week. Now, this was a created rhythm for all humanity. Oftentimes when we think of Sabbath, we think of the Jewish people. But in the creation story, this rhythm was made for everybody, not just for one person or one group of people or even one religion. It was created for humans, period. Now, throughout the rest of the Bible, Sabbath becomes an important part of what it means to be the people of God, in particular, Israel. There's commands, laws, regulations about keeping a regular weekly Sabbath. There's even commands about letting the earth itself Sabbath. Some of you gardeners and farmers are like, yes, right? These rules were created in Israel so that we wouldn't over-farm the land. We would give the land a break, a rest, a Sabbath. Let it catch up from six years of harvest, right? There's also parties and festivals and celebrations that commemorate the teachings of the Sabbath. Did you know that the Bible is filled with God telling the people of God to party? (laughs) To celebrate, right? And it's the people that don't want to. They're like, no, I wanna work. And he's like, why don't you rest and party? I'd never heard that growing up in the church. (laughs) But there's this radical reorientation of the people of God to see the rhythms of their life around rest. There's even this one in particular called Jubilee. It occurred every seventh Sabbath year, so the 50th year, which was an economic, cultural, environmental, and communal reset when the land and the people rest. And all those who were put in slavery are set free If you sold a piece of property to someone to pay off something, that piece of property would be given back to you. It's like wiping out national debt like that. All of the systems that happen in this world where hierarchy and class, it's like reorienting that again every 50 years. Everybody gets a restart. Some of you are thinking, well, that's not practical. I I didn't come up with this idea. God did. He had this idea that the people of God would be, their lives would be shaped about something different than the rest of the systems of this world. Even part of the Ten Commandments, you remember, keep the Sabbath holy. Now, if you remember, Israel's calling was to represent who God is to the world around them, right? The idea was is that the nations would see their life And as a response, they would go, there is a better, truer way to be human. They must worship the one true God. So the people of God were supposed to live in a sort of counter-cultural reality, which included Sabbath. It included rest. One day a week, every seven years, every 50 years, there was a rhythm to their life that said, we are people of rest, we are human beings, not human doings. But in doing so, Sabbath becomes not just a religious thing to do, a practice. It becomes a powerful resistance to the dark powers in this world. Because like giving of our financial resources says there is one true king and one true father in the universe. Taking a day of rest does the same thing. We can be productive for six days and work really hard, but we're gonna take a day to be and not do. We're gonna rest and trust that God will provide for our needs. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, 
God asks the people of God to do this. And there's even times like manna in the wilderness where he says, on one day, they're gonna get a double portion. Just don't try to harvest anything on the Sabbath day. You won't need to. And again, what is that? It's a trust that he's gonna do what he says he's going to do if we live how he says we should live. And in doing so, we say the world system has no power over us. And so rest is resistance but it's really hard to do. Is anyone with me? I am notorious for, for taking an inventory of my energy and going, well, I got it today. I can do this. You know, so I'm not necessarily gonna tell you that I'm an expert at this. I am growing and I am learning. Just this past week, um, I had to call somebody because I overcommitted myself. Anyone ever overcommitted themselves? Yeah. I like to say yes. If you ask me if I can do something, I like to say yes, I can do that. And then all of a sudden my to-do list gets really, really long. And I realize I've walked myself into this reality that the only way I can get all of those things done and make you happy is if I work every day, every night, and even on my Sabbath. And so here I am preparing a message on this and I'm living it out, great. And I had to call a friend because I made a commitment that I would do something on my Sabbath day. And the pulse of my family, the pulse of my own soul was saying, you need to pause. Now I'm grateful for my friend who loves Jesus and loves me. And as I was explaining this to her, I was explaining that I, I need to back out of my commitment. She, showed, she sent me a picture and she told me a story about a friend of hers who had a similar thing happen. I'm gonna put this up here. This is a dashboard of her friend's car. And what you see is this red thing, right? I don't, red light, but you can't quite see it. But underneath that, it says exit. <laughs> her car started flashing, the lights going exit, exit, exit. And I don't know about you, but if my car was doing that, I would be getting out of my car as fast as I can, right? What is going on? Is it gonna blow? I don't know, is it safe? Who even thought to program this, right? So. She gets out the uh, manual for a car. She looks up, what does this mean? If, you know, that takes like 15 minutes if you've ever done that before. And what she found, this is really interesting. Some engineer thought it would be a really good idea to build something within the vehicle that when it felt like it was running for too long, too fast, whatever, that it would literally tell the driver, it's time to get out of the car and take a break. <laughs> How impractical. <laughs> what if I'm on my way to do something? What if I need to get there? You, do you not understand, car? I need to get to where I'm going. How many of us go through life just like that? The Spirit of God inside of us is saying, I've invited you to rest. Take a break. Take a pause. And the dashboard of our own soul is going off saying, get out. <laughs> Exit. And we're going, be quiet, be quiet. I have more important things going on. And see, again, this is not inviting you to this religious and sort of rigorous way of approaching the Sabbath is to recognize this is a gift from God, to take a breath, to realize that he is better at running the universe than you are and than I am. And he actually is really interested in the work you're doing, but he's better at it than you are. <laughs> so what would it be like to trust him, with the rhythms of our life, to take a step back and to rest? So rest is resistance, but rest is also our inheritance. I'm gonna show you a photo as well. This is the uh, photo of World War I. This is a, a beautiful story 
Um, you might be familiar with it. World War I was an awful, awful, awful war. So many lives lost and went on w- way too long, as all wars are awful wars. But um, Christmas Eve, uh, Germans in one trench, the English in another trench, began to sing Christmas hymns. Started in German, and then all of a sudden, as the English realized what was being sung, they joined in. And together, these two enemies who were shooting at each other, not but a day before, are now gathered together singing worship in a war zone. And things begin to change in their hearts. They begin to realize that these people on the other side of no man's land are human beings too. And someone has the courage to step out of the trench Christmas morning and they come together with a truce. No one fires any weapons. (laughs) They play soccer. They exchange gifts with each other. They laugh, they joke, they tell stories. And there's this ceasefire, this moment when war stops, when they take a break for just a second and they realize there's something more to all of this. Why are we fighting? This is a small moment of heaven and earth coming together around the worship of Jesus. It all started with two people singing a hymn in their own language, coming together, making one. What is our inheritance? (laughs) It's something like that. The New Testament, there's a letter written about your inheritance and it's not a phishing email. (laughs) And while it may sound too good to be true, this is the one exception to the rule. It's better than anything you could ask or imagine. Paul says in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also share in his glory. This is written to those who are suffering, who experience suffering. We recognize that Christ suffered and we will share in his suffering, but we also know that we will share in his glory. What is that? Well, the author of Revelation towards the end or towards in chapter seven, he begins to write about what our future inheritance is. Now, Revelation is not written to be some secret code used to interpret the end times and sell a bunch of books one day. He writes in a genre and style familiar with his contemporaries to real people facing very real suffering. His message is about how to endure through trials and tribulations, all while clinging on to hope of our future inheritance. It was be comforting to them and may this word be comforting to us all as well. Revelation 7, verse nine, this is what our inheritance looks like. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All of the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. 
Then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, not just in their suffering, as Paul said, but in our future glory, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen? Maybe the great tribulation is a time to come. That's debated. But what isn't debated is that most of our life is a great tribulation, right? Our existence is that in this broken world. But our inheritance is future glory. Never again will they hunger or thirst. Never will they be scorched by the sun without shelter or care. But they will be led to streams of living water and every tear will be wiped away. Every reason to be sad, every reason to be broken will be mended and whole. Later on in Revelation 21, he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making everything new. Rest from this broken world is our inheritance, church. And notice who's all there. (laughs) A great multitude, no one could count. Every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. So we begin, so we end where we began. The gift of rest of Sabbath is for all humanity. And here, the eventual rest of the people of God once and for all, when God makes everything new, is for who? Everyone, a great multitude of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language. Rest was designed for all of humanity. Rest is resistance to the dark powers of this world. And all of us together, with those of us who trust Jesus, will experience rest as our inheritance. We've invited some of our leaders um, to come up here and to lead us in a time of prayer. They come from all over the globe but they represent what Revelation chapter seven is speaking to. You know, the kingdom of heaven doesn't just look like me and it doesn't just look like you. All nations, all tribes, all tongues. And just as in World War I, when two different languages were being sung together and yet somehow they understood the mysteries of God and the peace of God, today we're gonna invite you to participate with us in a time of prayer. And these prayers are not gonna be prayed in English but by the spirit of, the, of God, may you hear and be able to respond to prayer. Join us in a time of prayer. Well, thank you, Pastor Alex, and thank you everyone being here. Uh, I'm Christina Chen, and I'm the people culture pastor and the community group pastor here. So we have a, a multi-ethnic ministry here, and when, you, uh, when the service is over, you'll go out there, then you'll see these other people who are among our congregation members. Yeah, so uh, last time I count, uh, we have people from all over the world, uh, about 33 countries. 
you know. So if you are coming from a country, please connect with me, and I really would like to help you to be recognized here and to be connected here with other people. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to pray in Chinese, and uh, they will tell you what their name is and what country they are from and what language they are going to pray. Okay. We are so appreciating that you all are here and that to receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit with us and to hear what God has to say for our church. All right, let's bow our head and pray together.主啊，我们虽从不同的国家来，但是我们都带有那属天的特质，就是做你儿女的特权。主啊，你呼召我们做军尊的祭司。主啊，我们要看自己是那传福音的人，是那牧者。主啊，我们今天在这个活动里面，
and I'm going to pray in Portuguese. Senhor Deus, obrigada por essa igreja, obrigada por estarmos aqui na Tua presença, obrigada pela palavra que o Senhor nos deu hoje, de poder descansar. O Senhor é o nosso Deus que nos ajuda, que nos sustenta, obrigada pelo descanso que nós encontramos em Ti. Ajuda-nos sempre a lembrar, Deus, deste momento, ajuda-nos sempre a descansar, a lembrar que precisamos ter esse tempo buscar o Senhor, é o que eu te peço, Pai, agradeço, em nome de Jesus, amém. Namastê, my name is Elizabeth, I'm from India, and I'll be um, first reading from Revelation 7, verses 12 and 17 in Telugu, Telugu is one of the languages spoken in India, I heard that angels speak Telugu in heaven too, so let's get used to it. Amen. Ashirvadamu, Mahima, Ganata, Krutagnatalu, Ganata, Shakti, Shakti Vana Devudu, Nityamu, Kalugunugaka. Elanaga, Simhasanamu Matuna, Burrepilla, Varini, Pokshinchi, Sajiva, Jalamula Yutaku Varini, Nadipinchuna, Devudu Var Kanilanu, Tuduchuna. Let's pray. Sarvonatamaina Stalamala Una Yesu Pravani Pistotra Yalemelo Pratibidanu Ashwa in the Jinch Pastor Alex Karuchipina Message Nideva Pratyoka Pita Kutati Nirakadaku Samipamga Undi Andarini Sita Pachamanaina Pratyoka Pita Nikada Ashra Dinchivinch Sheminchi Nirakadaku Mamul Nandani Sajivulaga Piti my name is Gabor, uh, which means Gabriel in Hungarian. Although raised in Brazil, I'm from Hungary, land of my parents and my forefathers going back hundreds of years. I don't know if anyone in our congregation will understand me. <laughs> I'm hoping. But I will pray in Hungarian today. Menye yatyank, áldásodat kérem, lelki pászorunkra és mai üzenetére. Valamint közösségünkre és a ma itt képviselt sok nemzetre. A mai üzenet az örökségről szól, Isten üzenetéről szól János evangéliumában. John 3.16 Mert úgy szerette Isten a világot, hogy egyszerűt fiát adta, hogy aki hisző benne, Elnevezzen, hanem örök élete legyen. Arról is szól, hogy nem tulajdonosai, hanem gondokai vagyunk mindannak, amin van ezen a földön. Azért arra kér az Úr bennünket, hogy örömmel használjuk a nekünk adott kegyelmet, vagy a nagy lelkűségünket szóval és tettel. Ézsaiás üzenete a Krisztussal való örökségünkre emlékeztet. Ha nem járkálsz a nyugalom napján, kedveid után az én szent napomon, ha nyugalom napját gyönyörűségesnek hívod, az Úr szent napját dicsőségesnek és azzal dicsőíted, hogy abba hagyod munkáidat. Nem keresed kedveidet és nem tárgyalsz ügyeidről. Akkor gyönyörködni fogsz az Úrban, én pedig a föld magaslatain foglak hordozni és táplálak ősödnek, Jákobnak örökségében. 
Ma imádkozunk Izraelért is, mert az ő népe veszélyeztetve van, és szenved. És Isten áld meg a magyart. Jézus Krisztus nevében. Amen. Hi, I'm Tina Napu of Hinuya Heber. I was born in the territory of Hawaii um, before it became a state of the United States in 1959. I'll be reading from the Lord's Prayer the first three lines. First in English, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Then in Hawaiian, it's Iko Maukua, Makua. Hey, will you stand with me? I love that. This is what heaven sounds like. Get used to it. <laughs> this is what part of heaven looks like, part of heaven sounds like. When we pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, this is what we get to experience together. If you'd like to receive a prayer of blessing today, would you just open your hands? And I'd love to pray over you. May you be a people who trust God with every resource that he has given you. May you live as radically generous people in a city and in a world that is in desperate need of good news. May you be a people who choose to rest, to resist against the dark powers of this world and to trust our Father in heaven to be our provider and our Lord and King to be our protector. And may you be a people who rest in the inheritance now of the kingdom of heaven and with anticipation and hope of our future rest in all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, hey, our, multi, our party is just about to get started. Our multicultural festival is just right out there. Grab food, have a fun experience, grab your kids, take them out there. We love you guys so much. Have a great week.